when we got there, I didn't know that they were going to have a mixed crowd in their ladies service and that there was going to be a thousand plus people. And she told me that I was to go speak. So when I went to go and speak, my legs were shaking, my knees were knocking. I felt like I was going to pass out. But I went and I gave the word that the Lord had given to me. Afterwards, my husband told me, Jessica, we got to talk when we get to the hotel. When he told me that, I'm like, oh, my Lord, he must have said something wrong. I must have offended somebody. So me being me, I wrote a long list of everything I possibly could have said wrong. So that when we got to the hotel, I could tell him what I did wrong. And he wouldn't tell me. So when we got to the hotel, I sat down and I said, okay, it was this. It was this. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. And finally, he stopped me. He said, Jessica, oh, no. You didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, well, I have been stressing out this entire time. And he said, no, the only thing we've been wrong in is in your calling. God didn't call you to be a musician. He didn't call you to be a singer. He didn't call you to be a worship leader. God called you to be a preacher. Welcome to the Hacka Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorne. I hope you all are doing well. Today, I have a special treat for you. Jessica Marquez is an international evangelist with the UPCI. Over the years, she has served in a number of capacities. Her and her husband were missionaries to Mexico, Costa Rica, and Dominican Republic for over 12 years. They are also church planters, and she is the founder of the Women Ministering to Women Conference, which she has taken around the world. She has an amazing story and is used by God in a powerful way all across America and the world. But before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend if it blesses you and allow it to minister to them as well. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Now that that's taken care of, let's get to this conversation with Jessica Marquez. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Well, you know, it's such an honor for me, uh, Greg, to be able to be a part of this podcast since I saw that you had taken the initiative and, and made the podcast that you're doing. Uh, I've been listening to all of all of the people that you have come through. And especially today, I went back to listen to some of my friends so that I can know how it flowed. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, Lawami Diaz on a, uh, a few weeks back. I know you two are, are good friends. Yes, yes. We've known each other since we were teenagers. So it's been a long friendship with him and our family. I, we were just talking briefly before we started recording about how long it's been since you're out here. And it was hard for me to believe that it's been seven years since you're out in Australia. Yeah, the you know, the years really passed by really quickly. I... I the places that I've gone to and I'm like yeah I was just there last year and then I go and I look again and it really wasn't last year it was like time has passed but time really goes by quickly whenever you're ministering and traveling and going from place to place yeah and you're you're consistently busy consistently traveling uh love following you on social media and and seeing what God is doing uh, in your ministry as well uh, in your husband's ministry as uh, as well Yes, it's been really awesome. You know, um, well, first as missionaries, we did all the traveling and things like that. And then my husband, you know, he just focused on pastoring for so many years. Uh, Just this year, I've been traveling, I think, since the month of March. As soon as the pandemic lifted here in the United States, 
I started traveling and I have traveled out every weekend of the year, I believe, uh, since the month of March. And it's just been really amazing to see well, how things have changed, but still how things are, are still the same. Yeah, you're, you just got back from Canada, is that right? You were just over there a couple weeks back? Yes, I just got back from Canada. I love Canada. I love my friends in Canada. Um, I get to go to the district ladies conferences there. I've been to several of them in the past few years. Uh, I think I've been to almost every district in Canada except a couple of them. And I also get to go and preach for my friends in their local churches. So it's always great to be a part of the revival that's happening in Canada. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I like to uh, start out these conversations uh, by allowing the listeners to get to know a, a bit about the guests, a bit about their background, where they're coming from, the sort of worldview that they uh, present. And uh, if you wouldn't mind taking us back to where it all began and give us a, a bit of uh, your backstory, Sister Marquez. Well, you know, my family came into the church when I was eight years old. So I remember not being Pentecostal. And I remember the moment that I decided I was a Pentecostal no matter what. I was eight years old when I told my dad I was not any other religion, but I was a Pentecostal. And so uh, I, I remember when we went to vacation Bible school and all of my cousins and my brothers, we all stood in line because we were to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And once we received our certificate, well, we could no longer visit any other churches or so my dad told us. So I got at the end of the line. I sat right in front of the pastor. Pastor asked me, Jessica, do you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I looked him flat in the eyes and I said, no, I do not. <laughs> Four times and uh, at the age of eight, I was quite stubborn. And I told him no every time he asked me. So when we got home, my brothers had their certificates showing that they were a part of that church. And I was the only one who got home without a certificate. Since I am the oldest of my siblings, I'm always supposed to lead the way. But in that case, I didn't. When my dad asked me, Jessica, where's your certificate? Why Why don't you have one like the boys? I said, well, dad, that's because I'm Pentecostal. And you, if I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I couldn't go back to the church where my aunt goes. So uh, I'm Pentecostal. So it started way back then. Um, then my dad became a pastor after he received the Holy Ghost and was baptized and oh, my wow. mom. Then started pastoring when I was 10 years old. So at the age of 10, my dad was a home missions pastor. It was called home missions way back then, not North American missions. And uh, so he just put us to do stuff because we were past his kids. There was not anybody else to do it. Uh, I remember that he gave my little brother, my baby brother, the drumsticks. And by that time, I was 10 going on 11 and Bobby was around eight, but Bobby couldn't keep a beat worth anything. So dad turned around, handed me the drumsticks and said, you're the drummer. So I got no to be way. the drummer at my church until I was 17. And then when we moved, there was a drummer there and he said, okay, you're not playing the drums anymore. Now you're playing the keyboard. So he would just put what we needed to be. And that's how we grew up. That's amazing. What a cool story having that uh, uh, resolve as an eight-year-old. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to to join this church because I'm a Pentecostal. What a great story. Yeah, see, you know, that, that and I, you say resolve, but back then it was stubbornness. Now, I guess people look at you when you're older and they say, wow, what great resilience. You just really had this. You were going to do it. But even back then, I knew that uh, God had a special call on my life. 
because I just love going to church. Nobody could pull me away when altar call came. I was always the first one at the altar. I want to receive the Holy Ghost so bad. And then I remember that my brothers and I received the Holy Ghost at home praying before we went to bed. Oh, wow. So when my eyes, the whole church was inside our house because back then it was the wave of the revival in the 80s. So we had a revival Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Revival never stopped. So it, it was a great time to come into the church. Where did your dad pastor? My dad pastored in Edna, Texas, and then he pastored in Roma, Texas. Uh, he was a church planter. He also had many preaching points through South Texas. Hmm. My, dad, my dad was a little, um, I say crazy, because uh, one day he just picked up the phone and he called headquarters and he said, can I talk to Nathaniel Arshon? And uh, they actually passed him through. Can you imagine? That would never happen. <laughs> then, you know, they didn't have the same protocols as they have now. They patched my dad through uh, to Nathaniel Urshan, who was a general superintendent at that time. And my dad invited him to come and preach, to come and preach a conference in Edna, Texas. Now, you would have to know what Edna, Texas looked like. Tiny little town. I remember when there was no McDonald's, no Walmart. I mean, a tiny town. But Brother Urshan actually accepted. And uh, Brother Mark Foster, our, he was a secretary for home missions at the time, also accepted and they came down to Edna, Texas to have a conference. And everyone all around the Texas region came because Brother Urshan was going to be preaching this conference. So my dad was one of those crazy people that did crazy things. That's amazing. I was wondering, you, you grew up in a home missions work, obviously. So you were doing a lot in the church. Uh, your dad was kind of telling you, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that as you do when, when you have, you don't have many hands to do the work. Um, but when did you feel the call to ministry for yourself? It wasn't just something you were doing for your dad, something involving, you know, the, the church that you're a part of, but when did you feel the call to ministry? You know, and, and again, going back to home missions, when you're home missions, you do everything. I was 10 years old when I started being a Sunday school teacher, 13 when I was with, you know, I was a youth director. I was 17 when we started having groups from TBC come in and preach and do their crusades that they did from Texas Bible College. And I always knew that I had this call. I didn't really know that women could preach because women didn't preach back then. I just thought I would be a pastor's wife. That was like, I knew that's what one day I would be because I had a call from God. But, you know, answering the question that you're saying, I was 18 years old and I was already my freshman year of TBC. I was the Spanish club president, then the missions club president, and I was um, very much involved in all the crusades that would go out throughout the city of Houston and, and throughout the state of Texas. And uh, I remember finding myself in, in the prayer room, praying and just seeking God, because I knew that I had a call of God on my life. But it was until, uh, you know, my dad was a great guy, and he, you know, he did great things for the kingdom of God, but sometimes people make big mistakes and my dad made a big mistake and uh, he he left the church and he left us and he just walked away and so I remember finding myself at an altar when I was 18 years old my dad had just left and I packed up my mom and my brothers and we were moving and uh, I dropped my brothers to church because I didn't want for anyone to feel sorry for us and to think that you know that they had to be searching for us and stuff I'm like brothers we're going to go to church we're going to be there we're going to worship and then we're going to leave 
Then they made the altar call and I went to the altar and I always say I didn't go to the altar because I wanted God to touch me. I had so much pride inside of me. I didn't want for anyone to feel sorry for me. So I went to the altar and I raised my hands and I was there and I remember the pastor. Now he's the spiritual father in my life. His name is Tony Ivara. He came to me, he leaned in and he told me, Mija, which means daughter in Spanish. He said, Mija, if you walk out of these doors the same way that you are right now, you'll never serve God another day in your life. And it was at that moment that I had to make a decision. And it almost seems like it was a split decision because either I could walk away or I could stay there and let God touch me. But it was at that moment that I decided that I love God and I wanted to do everything that I could for him. It didn't matter if my dad served God, if my mom served God. It didn't matter if anyone else served God. I was going to serve him because I loved him above all else. And I love him above all else. So it really doesn't matter what happens in life. I have already made my decision. I made it a long time ago that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to serve God. And from that moment on, the Lord just kind of, you know, he just put his hand upon me the next year. My husband came to Texas Bible College. We got married, went straight to the mission field. We uh, we got married and 10 days after we were on the mission field. Oh, wow. And we were pastoring three churches at one time. He was 19. He was 18 and I was 19 years old. And then we met the Global Missions Board when we were 20 and 21. We were the youngest missionaries ever appointed by the Global Missions uh, by the Global Missions Board. And we went back on the mission field and we served in Mexico for almost 12 years. Then we went to Costa Rica and then the Dominican Republic. And we gave in total almost 15 years to missions. And then well, we went to Miami and it was a whole different kind of missions because we jumped right into North American missions. And we started two churches there in Miami. Wow. So you, you guys met at Texas Bible College and then went straight to the missions field after getting married. You said 10 days, is that correct? Well, you see, I met my husband when he was 16 because he was a missionary kid and his dad was a president of the UPC of Mexico. So my dad pastored at the border of Texas and Mexico and we had a youth group come down from Brother Hunt's church. And when they came down, my husband was there and he was the interpreter. And that was the first time that I saw him when he was 16. But then again, I didn't see him till he was 18. We dated for a week. A week later, he asked me to marry him. Nine months later, we got married. Ten days after that, we were on the mission field. And so you, from there, you went to Mexico. You you started churches in Mexico. I'm, I'm assuming that would be underneath your father-in-law's ministry. Is that right? Yes. Well, my father-in-law was a vice president and of the work, and he was also the district superintendent where we were working. My husband became the district secretary. And then after that, we moved to a different state that didn't have very many churches. I think there was three churches there. It was called Michoacan. When we got there, uh, we moved to Morelia, and we began to pastor that church. And we, you know, we worked very hard. They burned down our church in Morelia. Uh, we had to rebuild so so many things. You know, we could just go through all the mission stories that that we we faced and all the things that we had to go through. But my husband was a presbyter for the Michoacan section, and then he was the founding superintendent for the Michoacan district, and we served there for eight and a half years. Wow! So you guys were appointed by Global Missions at twenty one. You said you were twenty one, and he was twenty. Yes, yes. And the thing about my father-in-law, my father-in-law was a national from the country of Mexico. So when we got to Mexico, he sat down and talked to us and told us, 
I want for you to know that there's no favoritism here. That just because you're Americans or just because you're under mission status means that you're different from anybody else that pastors in Mexico. In fact, you probably have to work harder than everybody else because you are my kids. And so dad didn't give us any kind of uh, any kind of breaks. We had to work very hard when we first got there and throughout the entire time, uh, you know, just working on the mission field. It, it was a whole different whole different ball game than being here in the United States. Now, I want to circle back. You were you're an ordained minister, right? An ordained minister with the UPCI. When you when you went on the missions field, were you licensed at that stage, or did this happen after you came off the mission field? When I mission field, I was a missionary wife. I was a wife, a musician, a singer. I could play anything that you throw at me because I like music. Um, and so that's what I did. I was playing the keyboard in four different churches on a Sunday because there was no other one, no other person who played the keyboard. So I played the keyboard everywhere I went. I didn't speak Spanish. So I could sing in Spanish, but I could not speak Spanish. It took me a year and a half how to speak Spanish. And, uh, you know, I was content being the pastor's wife, being the missionary wife, uh, working, doing music. Uh, I was also the district superintendent's uh, wife. So that means that I was a ladies president of the district. So I did everything that I was supposed to do, but I, I didn't, I didn't preach anywhere because in Mexico, ladies didn't preach. Mm. So it was until I was 27, almost 28 years old. that one of my friends invited me to go speak at her ladies conference. And I always say that she invited me not because I was a preacher because I wasn't. She just wanted to hang out with me and she lived in, like one of the greatest cities in Mexico. And I'm like, okay, I'm down for it. If you want for me to go to Cuernavaca, that's where all the movie stars in Mexico go and uh, hang out at and where they vacation. So I'm like, I'll go. And then I told my husband, he says, I'll go too. So we both went to Cuernavaca. When we got there, I didn't know that they were going to have a mixed crowd in their ladies service and that there was going to be a thousand plus people. And she told me that I was to go speak. So when I went to go and speak, my legs were shaking. My knees were knocking. I felt like I was going to pass out. But I went and I gave the word that the Lord had given to me. Afterwards, my husband told me, Jessica, we got to talk when we get to the hotel. When he told me that, I'm like, oh, my Lord, he must have said something wrong. I must have offended somebody. So me being me, I wrote a long list of everything I possibly could have said wrong. So that when we got to the hotel, I could tell him what I did wrong. And he wouldn't tell me. So when we got to the hotel, I sat down and I said, okay, it was this, it was this, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. And finally he stopped me. He said, Jessica, oh no, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm like, well, I have been stressing out this entire time. And he said, no, the only thing we've been wrong in is in your calling. God didn't call you to be a musician. He didn't call you to be a singer. He didn't call you to be a worship leader. God called you to be a preacher. And I remember I started laughing at him. I said, oh, you're so wrong. I'm a lady and ladies don't preach. So I didn't know where you're getting that from. And he said, well, you can either accept your calling uh, or you'll have to go through a process. And I remember I looked at him and I laughed again. And I said, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go through the process because I am not a preacher. I'm a lady and ladies don't preach. So directly after that, I think it was six months after I had an aneurysm. I had to be flown back to the United States. I was in the hospital for two and a half months at Baylor Medical Center, had my first massive stroke, was completely paralyzed on the left-hand side of my body. And I remember laying on that bed probably about 
two months in and me saying, God, if this is part of the process for me to accept your call on my life, I surrender. Uh, I'll do anything you ask me to do. Just please heal me and let me continue to move and, and be able to walk again and speak well again and be with my family, be with my children. And the Lord began to heal me immediately. And I was released from the hospital and we went straight back to Mexico. And from there, I started to preach. I think that I was, I know I was 29 when I was licensed with my local license. My very first mentor was Barbara Willoughby. She was mm. a missionary in Singapore. And uh, Sister Barb would, would take time with me. And we would talk about a lot of things. And we did school of missions together several times. And she would sit down and talk. And she knew all the illness I had gone through and how the Lord had healed me. And Brother Stone King was one of our teachers. So she would bring Brother Stone King to come and sit. And we would all three talk. And then she just stayed connected with me. And I think right when I was about to turn 29, Barb wrote me and said, Jessica, you need to apply for your local license. And I remember asking her, well, why, Barb? Why do I need to have a license for my husband's license? I'm a missionary. Uh, what, what is the purpose of me being licensed? And so she started talking me through it. And she told me, well, you know, Jessica, here's the deal. If you were in a secular field and you were working, wouldn't you want to continue to go up the ladder in your work is the same way in ministry. You can't just, if you have a call from God and he has called you to minister, why are you just going to sit around and not get your license? And then we went for our general license. And I was, and because I'm a person who makes goals, I had written down that by the time I was 40, I would get my ordination. I didn't know that no woman had ever been ordained in my district before. And uh, no one told me so. Uh, my presbyter didn't mention it. So I filled out my application and I sent it in and they called me to meet the board. I was also going for North American mission status as a pastor by myself to be a pastor in Miami and to apply as a North American missionary. So I had to meet the board two times that time. And when I went in for my ordination, they asked me all kinds of questions. My husband was sitting with me. And by the time we were all done, our bishop said, our district superintendent said, Sister Marquez, this is a milestone moment for our district. You're the first woman we have ever ordained. We have unanimously voted for you. So it was a, it was a, a big moment for me when I finally realized what, what was going on. I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. So we drove back to Miami five and a half hours to get my kids so that they could be there during my ordination service. And I think I've been ordained now for maybe four years. So in your opinion, uh, has the church uh, as a whole, do you believe that it has started changing um, its views in regards to women in ministry? Have you noticed that over the years? I mean, because we're talking about when you first went on the missions field, you're 21, so about two decades worth of ministry. Have you noticed a, a shift, a change? Well, you know, I, I have been traveling by myself um, for the last 15 years. And when Brother Haney was a superintendent, you know, Brother Brother Haney believed in women in ministry. But when Dr. Bernard came in, Dr. Bernard just really has this passion to allow everyone to do what God has called them to do. And one thing about Dr. Bernard, whenever he, he comes in and, and whether, you know, it really doesn't even matter what... Um, what department it might be, what ministry it might be in. He's always like 150% behind it. 
But I remember when we asked Dr. Bernard to come and speak at WMW, your mother-in-law was there, uh, Sister Ratch. And he was up there and he was teaching about women in ministry. And I mean, he was just going at it. It was so awesome. I was his interpreter. So I'm interpreting for him. And he's saying this story about his mom because his mom was a fiery preacher. Both uh, his mom and his dad worked together as a team. And my husband and I worked as a team also. But they were, you know, they were doing what they were doing. And he said it this way. My dad would go up and my dad would preach the word. But then he called my mom up because my mom would come in and she would just be so powerful. She'd make the altar call. She'd start praying for people. And so he's saying this whole story while he's uh, while he's teaching and I'm interpreting for him. And then he turns around because in his story, he's saying how his mother laid hands on this man and the man was healed. And he grabs my hand. He grabs my hand and he puts my hand on top of his head. I almost pass out because he's a general superintendent. And especially in the Latin culture, well, any culture, first of all, a woman laying hands on a man, you have really got to have a powerful ministry for people to respect you. You know, you you just have got to have uh, the goods to back you up. You can't just go around doing whatever you feel like it. And so when he put my hand on his head, I forgot how to speak Spanish. I forgot how to interpret. I stopped talking. Cindy uh, Miller was on the front row and she was like, Jess, Jess, keep interpreting, keep interpreting. And then I, I shook myself and, and I continued on. But Dr. Bernard, just the way that he is, you know, he just embraces women in ministry. And I think that, that has really helped our organization as a whole because, you know, he lets everybody do what God has called him to do, whether it be man, woman, child, young person. He just lets all work for the kingdom of God because we're living in the last days. So that's really amazing. Now, our organization as a whole, thank you, Bass. There's one thing about our organization. Our organization never negates the anointing. If you are anointed, they don't try to shut you down. It doesn't matter who you are. If they see the anointing upon your life, if you go in and you begin to minister and the power of God falls, they're not looking at you to see your gender. They're not looking at you to see where you came from. They're just acknowledging that the power of God is descending and there is anointing upon that person and they embrace you. And for that, I'm very thankful. Amen. I think it's very important that this shift is taking place. Uh, and obviously the, coming from someone whose mother-in-law is an assistant pastor at the church here in Sydney. So I've been brainwashed, I guess, but, um, but you know, the way I view it is, you know, there's a difference between men and women, obviously, uh, in, in roles and in, in what they have to offer. But when it comes to ministry, we're, if we're not utilizing, you know, over 50%, because I would argue that more than 50% of the church is female. And and if we're not utilizing that to the, the best of their ability, to the best of their capability, then we're really missing out as the body of Christ. Well, and you know, I believe if we go back and we begin to study uh, our roots, and we see how many women at the beginning of, of the Pentecostal movement, how many women were preachers, how many were evangelists, how many had such dynamic ministries, how many of our elders that have now gone on to be with the Lord were won by a woman's ministry. I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling when you really begin to study. So the way that I look at it is that we're living in the last days, and it really doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Everyone needs to put their hands on the plow and begin to work because there is a harvest that has got to be brought in. 
And if we're not all working together as a body of Christ, if we're not all working together to do what God has called us to do, then how are we ever going to reach the world that we live in? Amen. You have a, you mentioned it uh, when you're talking about Brother Bernard ministering at, at a conference, the Women Ministering to Women conference. Uh, and, and it's a, a great event that takes place every year and you've even taken it global it's not just an american event but it's gone outside of america why do you believe it's important that women minister to women well you know before i started the conference i went to a, a i went to a non-denominational ladies conference and it was huge they had like ten thousand women and I slipped in because I wanted to know what it felt like. I wanted to see what it looked like. I wanted to know what the vibe was. I wanted to know what was going on in the middle of all of those women gathered together. So I told one of my friends, hey, let's slip in and let's see what's going on in this ladies conference. And we did. When we slipped in, I mean, it was powerful. These women were praying. And I mean, they were praying these prayers that was, it was just shaking the whole building. And I was sitting kind of in the front row because when I walked in, it was uh, it was a black conference. So when I walked in, they're like, well, here we have some diversity. Let's put her in the second row. So I was trying to hide out, but they put me in the second row. So I'm standing there and I make this full turn, right? And I, I'm looking at all these women as I'm looking at them, I'm hearing them pray and worship and praise God. I'm like, why can't we have something like this? And, uh, you know, and then I said, God, if any woman does something like this, I will support them with everything I have. I'll support them with finances. I will back them up. I'll do everything that I can to make sure that they know that I'm behind them. And then the Lord says, you do it. I said, what do you mean do it? I'm a missionary. Missionaries can't just start conferences. That's not the way that it works. We are employed by our organization. We're there to work and to win souls on the field that we're at. I can't just start a conference. And the Lord told me, you do it. And so I walked away with that thinking, well, my Lord, why can't we do something like this? But I was a missionary, so I went back on mission field. The first thing that I did when we came back on, on American soil, that very same year, I started a ladies' conference. And the ladies' conference that we started was Women Ministering to Women. And the reason that I named it Women Ministering to Women is because I, I believe that you know, and I'm the first one. I have mentors that are that are elders that are male already up in age, and and I have mentors that are women, and I believe that everyone can minister effectively. But there's just something different when women gather together and they begin to talk about their issues, talk about what they're going through, when they begin to support and to uh, not just support but tell their friends that they can also do it. I, I always say it this way, and, and I've said it online before, and it might sound kind of funny, but it's just the absolute truth. There's not nobody who's meaner than a woman. A woman can be so mean to another woman. I mean, there's not no one who can be more mean than another woman. But at the same time, I looked at that and I said, well, if we could just get in our minds that we're not competing. We're all working together for the same cause. We're working together so that women can feel that they can do things for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not one to bash having plate sales and peanut brittles. My Lord, I've done all of that. I, I can make peanut brittle with my eyes closed. I can sell anything. If you give me something, I can sell it because I've been doing it since I was 10 years old and my dad was a home missionary. I know how to do all this stuff that women do in a local church, but I feel that if women could truly realize the power that resides within them. And I always use the story of um, 
you know, when Japan came and they attacked Pearl Harbor. Until that moment, the United States really hadn't gotten into the war. They just were kind of silent. But as soon as Japan came and attacked us on our own soil, there is a general that, and it's in a movie and in a book that he wrote that he said, we awoke a sleeping giant. Mm. And when that sleeping giant woke up, all of a sudden you have this massive uh, force that's coming against you. And I believe that a lot of women have been asleep for a long time. And that if we could just wake them up, there's not no telling what God would do in our local churches and what he would do, uh, not just on a local level, national level, but on a global level. So we've taken our conference, like you said, across the world. We've been through Spanish speaking countries. We've been through English speaking countries. We've been in Europe, South America, Central America. Our greatest crowds that we've drawn in have been over 8,000, close to 9,000 women. Here in the United States, it's completely bilingual because we want for women, uh, I should say trilingual, because we do Spanish, English, and ASL now. So we have three languages going at the same time. We just had our meeting for the conferences coming up, October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And while we were talking about what was going on, I told the ladies, remember, ladies, that we now have to interpret everything into three different languages, because in order for everyone to know what's going on, we have got to interpret. So we have interpreters for ASL. We have interpreters for Spanish, and we preach in English. Or if you're preaching in Spanish, we interpret into English and into ASL. So we have women that are coming from every background, from every culture. They're all just gathering together, and I just think it's really awesome what God's doing. Is this this conference, are there other ladies' conferences that aren't tied to a district? I was just thinking of that as you were answering. Uh, you know, I, I know it's a great conference. I was wondering, is is it unique in that regard in that it's not actually tied to a district, but it's open to any? I think maybe within our organization it might be. Hmm. Um, that's tied with the district. Now, we do go into different districts. We do go into different cities. We don't call it a district conference. Right. We in district to participate with us, but it's open to everyone. I got a phone call from an elder. I won't say her name, but she uh, she's an elder within our organization. They have pastored uh, this huge church that just helps all kinds of people. And she said, Jessica, you know, I just want to thank you because whenever you even post on social media, you're not inclusive. You're, you're just... Uh, you know, you just talk. It's not exclusive. You're just talking to everyone. You're welcoming them. So it doesn't matter what background they come from. It doesn't matter what organization they come from. Now, I'm UPC and I'll always be UPC. I hold my heart. I love my organization. But at the same time, I feel that God is drawing people in because they need to hear the truth. And folks are out there preaching and they're preaching all kinds of things. And if they can read something on our social media, if they can walk into our conference and their lives can be changed because they're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, baptized in the name of Jesus, then we are fulfilling the Great Commission. I have people come into our conference that are Catholics, Baptists. They come from non-denominal organizations. We have our master classes where we have had pastors from different organizations. Women pastors come in and sit down for a week full of intensive teaching and then they go back to their churches and they teach. So we're trying our very best to make a difference in the world. And in making a difference, we just open up and say everyone is welcome. In fact, towards the end, right before conference, uh, 
starts, we always make a, a big appeal. We say, if you know somebody who needs the Holy Ghost or needs a miracle and is not from the church, we want for you to invite them to come and be a part of the conference and we will cover their registration because we want for them to be there. And we do that at every conference that we have, whether it be in Houston, Miami, New York, Nashville, Oregon, we do it and we see great things happen, great miracles, people filled with the Holy Ghost, their lives forever changed. And that's what it's all about. I wanted to get some advice uh, from you for someone who feels the call to ministry. I ask this of uh, pretty much every preacher that I have on the podcast. What's some advice that you would give to someone who feels the call to ministry, um, especially a woman who feels the call to preach, but you don't have to be specific only to ladies? Well, I mentor not only uh, young ladies, but also young men. Um you know, I just, I just got a call just last night because I'll be ministering at a church and the pastor told me the evangelists that we're going to go preach this month. And they're very well-known evangelists. Uh, if I say their names, everybody in, in the world knows who they are. And then he said, but Sister Marquez, we would like for you to come in because we have some young women in our church who feel a call to ministry and we would love for them to see you. And for me, that's a great honor and that's a great privilege. And I don't ever take it lightly. Uh, when I knew that, when I finally knew that I had a call of God on my life, when I accepted that call of God on my life, the first thing that I did was surround myself with people that would believe in me, with people that would help me and support me and make sure that I would become who I'm supposed to be. And I'm so thankful that God has brought these people into my life. I didn't like go knock on their doors and stuff or send them random emails. I just started praying. And I started praying and asking God, God, I ask that you grant me grace, honor, and favor with people that I come into contact with me. Lay me on people's hearts, the people that need to be in my life, because I want to be able to hear sound voices that will speak to me and lead me and guide me to the places that I need to go to reading the word of God, prayer, all of these things are so essential. You know, first time I went to Australia, I got the phone call asking me to go to Australia. I actually got an email from your mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Sent me an email. And when I got the email, I read it and I'm like, what? Australia? I don't know anybody in Australia. And this lady's asking me to go for 21 days and like 22 times but I don't even know who she is. And so I called Cindy Miller after I'd spoken to my husband about it. And I said, mom, I'd like to know who is Gina Gretsch and why is she inviting me to Australia? I don't even know who she is. And mom, Cindy Miller told me, Jessica, just say yes and go. And I said, but mom, I already have conferences that I need to get to. She says, well, call them and ask if you can reschedule or if you can send somebody in your place because it's vital for you to go to Australia. And when she told me that, I knew that I needed to go to Australia. So I flew to Australia. And when I get there, again, I didn't know Gina Gretsch at all. And I was about to spend 21 intensive days with this lady, because when you get to Australia, it's like, you're with that person. You sleep in the same places, you eat together, you fly together, you drive together. You're either going to love each other or hate each other by the time that the 22 days are done. But I remember it was my second ladies conference that we, we had already done Queensland. And then we were at the Gold Coast. And I was praying 
And I was going through a difficult time in my life at that moment, and not very many people knew it. But Gina Gretsch came out of her room, and when she came out of her room, she sat down. And first, she tried to make me eat Vegemite, which is absolutely horrible. You never want to eat it if you're an American. I promise. You don't want to taste it. Agreed. But she, she, she sat down, and she started telling me this story. And she said, I've never shared this story with anybody before, but God told me to share it with you. And she starts telling me this story, and it was exactly what I was going through. And I'm looking at her like, who told her anything about me? I don't even know who this woman is. And here she is reading my mail to me, and I'm the speaker. And so she's looking at me, and if you know Gina Gretsch, you got to know she could get really intense. And she was like really intense telling me this stuff. And after she finished saying her story, she looked at me and she said, do you understand what the Lord's trying to tell you? And I'm like, well, I kind of do. She said, okay, that's all that we needed to make sure that happened. And since that moment, Gina Gretsch became my very close friend. She's my accountability partner. She knows the good, the bad, the ugly, the very ugly, and the ugliest parts of me. And she still loves me. But she makes sure that I stay where I'm supposed to be at. I could get a call from Australia at any time and just say, Jessica, the Lord just told me this. Or, Jessica, what are you doing? Or, what's going on in your life? Because I made sure that I have people in my life that hold me accountable. People in my life that ask me the hard questions. People in my life that make sure that I continue down the path that I'm supposed to be on. I mentioned Cindy Miller, mentioned Gina Gretsch, Aurelia Hopkins. These three women, they're older than I am. But I feel that when we gravitate towards people that have already walked down paths that we haven't walked down, they can help us become who we're supposed to be. Yeah, it's very important to surround yourself with people when you're a young leader, a young minister, that you surround yourself with people that can speak into your life and, and help you to stay on the path because there's so many different things that can pull you to and fro, circumstances, events that take place. Wonderful advice. Well, also, you know, I, and if I'll say this real quick, Brother Greg, and then we can continue on. A lot of times young ministers want to surround themselves with other young ministers. And when they surround themselves with other young ministers from crisis moments come in your life and uh, you want to take a path that you shouldn't, instead of having a wise sound voice that will say, hey, just hang on a moment. Just be still. Listen for the voice of God. Uh, we have lost so many of our young ministers because they just don't stop and wait and listen to our elders. And I believe that person in our lives is so essential. Yeah. Agreed. This is for uh, the preachers who are listening to the podcast. We have a number of preachers that listen to it. And I don't think I've said this yet, but I believe that you're a, a wonderful preacher of the gospel and and you minister with spiritual authority. If you've sat under your ministry, listened to, you preach, you definitely feel that you are ministering. Not, you're not just preaching a word. You're not just preaching a sermon, but ministering with spiritual authority. And also, you're. are you currently enrolled in UGST? I am. I had to with absence when I had a heart attack and stroke last year uh, because I went through three really big things last year with my health, which I had a heart attack in April. I had a stroke in September, my eighth stroke. And then in November, both my husband and I were hospitalized with COVID pneumonia. So I had to take a leave of absence for a moment, but I am studying for my MDiv. Hmm. And I just wanted to mention that because sometimes when um, talking with someone who 
uh, is used in in the gifts of the Spirit or uh, is someone who ministers with spiritual authority, sometimes it's difficult for other ministers, other preachers to relate to them so much. Um, but I also wanted to mention that you are growing in that other area as well in your studies. And, you know, you don't just rely on moving in the Spirit and preaching with spiritual authority, but you also invest in yourself through study and education. So what are some pointers that you would give to preachers out there when it comes to study and execution to ministering the Word of God? You know, I I believe, Brother Greg, that when we have studied and we have prepared and we have written down what we have studied and prepared in a message, and we have put in our time in prayer and study, because the Word of God does say study and show yourself approved in the eyes of God. There's some folks that would just go up and and they just start talking, but and and this I guess this is let me reward because I want to reward this. I'm gonna say it this way. I really appreciate when I listen to somebody who I can tell has studied mm-hmm. that they have put in their time. Because if I study and in the world that we're living in now, so many of our young people are so well studied and well versed. And you can go onto Google and Google anything in two seconds and do a fact check to see if that's true or not. You have got to know what you're talking about. You can't just get behind the pulpit and say whatever you feel like it. I know that that used to be okay to do. But now, if I mean, you can see behind me because you're looking. I have a library in my house. And I stopped reading secular books once I started studying at UGST. And I only started buying academic books because I wanted to focus. But at the same time, I don't allow myself to be so tied up only in what I have studied. Uh, I told my husband the other day, because I was preaching Pentecost Sunday, and I had written everything out, because I write out everything. I write all my entire message, and I've already prayed, and and I know what the Lord, uh, where he would like for us to go, and I've written myself notes, and then when I get to the hotel, I lay back down on the ground, and I pray, because I've now entered into that region, and into that city, and now I can Feel the atmosphere and the spirits that are in that vicinity in that region. So it allows me to to pray a little bit, um, a little bit more focused in my prayer. But at the same time, I don't let myself be tied to my message. Um, I told my husband this, honey. At this particular service, I stepped away from my notes and I stepped into the spirit, because if we have a balance of studying the word of God and of walking in the spirit, the Lord will always lead us and guide us if we have fine-tuned our ears to be able to hear his voice and move according to how he wants for us to move and minister how he wants for us to minister. Because, I mean, I could have the greatest message in the world that I took a whole week to write but if i go in and the lord starts shifting and moving i can't just stay tight to my message because i wrote a great message mm. i have to got to move me how he wants in that particular service uh, only one time i thought to myself well i need to just finish preaching my message and i stopped the move of god i must have been like 31 probably around 31 years old and i stopped everybody i'm like I'm going to finish preaching my message. 
<laughs> and I finished preaching my message. And there was no move of God when I was done. I'm like, whoa, what happened here? What, what went on? And I learned the lesson that I can't just be, um, I just cannot be looking at my own talents and my own at my own strength, at my own abilities. I can't just be depending on myself and what I'm going to say. I have got to be connected to the spirit of God before I walk into a church. Mm. And when I'm connected to him, then he's going to make sure that everything goes just the way that he wants to in that particular service. Because we're not the ones who do anything. It's God. I always tell people, I don't give miracles. God gives miracles. I'm here preaching because I'm an empty, broken vessel that God has broken down to just really smithereens. There's not nothing left of me. So when I walk into a service, it's like, God, feel me, use me. It's you who's going to do the work. Mm. And then I just depend solely on him. And that's important, tying that together, you know, the the study aspect, making sure that you do the work, that you put in that effort, you craft the message. Um, as you said, you're a manuscript preacher, so you've written out the message. You, you've put all that time and work into it, but then also releasing that to God and say, well, this is what you gave me, but whatever transpires in this service, I'm going to do whatever you would have for me to do. Yes, and you know, one, one, because we all have like groups of people that we listen to, that there's a circle. And I don't, there's a, a brother named Philip Harrelson. He is from Alabama. And that guy, the way that he studies and the way that he writes, in fact, I started collecting fountain pens because of him, because he writes with a fountain pen. He has a prayer journal. He has a prayer Bible. Uh, he has all of the notes that he does. And I went through reading his blogs and everything that he wrote was just like, wow, this is so amazing. I want to make sure that I put in this type of study because really the people of God deserve mm. that we take the to study because they've taken time out of their schedule. They have walked in with needs. They have come into the house of God looking for something. And I can't just wait at the last minute to grab something and just go up and preach without having put any study or any prayer into what I'm doing. The people of God deserve better than that from us who are preachers. Mm, agree. I had um, Luame Diaz on. I mentioned that I had him on the podcast earlier a few weeks ago. And I asked him this question, which I also wanted to ask you, because you both uh, minister quite regularly in English conferences and Spanish conferences. And I was wondering, uh, what is something that the Western church can learn from their Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters? What is something that we can learn from them? Well, you know, there's one thing about Spanish-speaking people. They give everything they got. They are true servants at heart. Once they have left every other religion or denomination that they have been in that doesn't hold the truth, they love the truth. Uh, the truth is the greatest thing for them. They love holiness. Holiness is huge for them. Uh, they will give anything for the kingdom of God. When I go into a Spanish church, I know that we're about to have a blowout service because they are anticipating that God is going to move. They have come in with expectation. It's not about you having to light a fire underneath them. They're ready because they know that only God 
can do the things that he does. They know that only God can supply their needs. That only God can heal their bodies. They believe with everything that they have inside of them. You don't have to try to convince them because they know that only God can do it. They've come mm. from different countries where the, really the only thing they can depend on is the word of God and the faith that they have because that is the only thing that will take them through. Yeah, well said. It, and I think that's important that though we may be comfortable, though we may uh, have things within the West that other uh, cultures or other countries may not have, we can't just rely on that as the church. As the church of God, we need to be reliant on Him and put our faith and trust in Him. That's definitely something that we can learn from them. Yes, and their worship. Their worship is crazy. I mean, it's exuberant. We were just in New York a, a couple of weeks, a couple of Sundays ago. And I'm there, you know, everybody's worshiping. I'm, I'm worshiping with them. We're all just dancing and jumping. Then all of a sudden, I hear this horn start blowing. I'm like, whoa, is, is that the horn of the Lord calling us? You know, it's come for his church. But I turn around, no, it wasn't the Lord that was blowing the horn. It was a brother that was back there that decided to blow the horn in the middle of, just the middle of worship. I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to watch. As soon as he started blowing the horn, that place went crazy. People started running, jumping, shouting, screaming. I mean, they were getting at it. So when, when they begin to worship, they don't care what they look like. They don't care what they're wearing. They don't care if their hair's going to get messed up. They got to throw off their shoes. They just get in there because they know that they got to give all the honor and glory to God. Yeah, that's amazing. So tied to that, you minister all over the world, you know, not just in Spanish-speaking countries, but uh, in, in different areas throughout the world. And I wanted to get your perspective on this. What excites you about the global church in 2021? We just came through a really hard year. Obviously, you did as well. You're talking about your health and and what people have experienced throughout this past year. And I think we have a lot of negativity. And so I like asking this question so we could get a bit more positivity and see what God is doing throughout the world, not just in our area. This is the way that I look at things, Greg. I know that we just have gone through so much, not just as, uh, we can't even just say just certain countries, but as a world, we have just gone through a lot. But the way that I look at things is, yes, we've gone through a lot, but really God has just set the scene and the stage where he can be most glorified. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that we're living in a time where we can see the greatest miracles happen in our churches because people truly believe they are hungry for something more than what they have ever had. And they are searching and seeking to receive something that they have never experienced. And if we as a church could just stand up and be who we're supposed to be, if we could offer them what other people are trying to offer in, in different areas in life, but what we have is really true. If we could just become who we're supposed to be, the church, mm -hmm. there's no telling what God would do. I think that we're living in the prime time to see not just the greatest revival, because I say revival is always for the local church. The local church has got to get revived. We have got to revive ourselves, but to see the greatest harvest mm -hmm. to come, to see the greatest miracles happen, to see lives forever change. Uh, I was just preaching this past Sunday and I said, it's during these times 
when the church has been kind of shaken because of the events that are transpiring around us is during these times that we see saws become paws, that we see witches and sorcerers baptized in the name of Jesus and their lives forever changed. We see apostles that were unlearned stand up and begin to preach the word of God as they, as they have gone to seminary. If we could only allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives, there's no telling what he would do through the church. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, I love that. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, this time that we have had together, and I want to thank you again uh, for providing this time of yours. Uh, you're you're a very busy lady, and you got a lot on, and uh, you're you're constantly pulled in different directions. But I want to thank you for providing this time to come on the podcast here today. In conclusion, I wanted to. Uh, give you the opportunity to share a word with the listeners, something that God has laid on your heart specific for this podcast. So if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing a word with the listeners as we finish up here today. Thank you, Brother Greg, and thank you again for the opportunity to come and speak on this podcast. I, I believe in everything that you're doing. If there's a word that I would leave with everyone who is listening, uh, hard times are here. Probably it's not going to change. We are living in a time where we have to draw closer to God than we ever have before. We can't focus on our present circumstances. We have to focus our eyes on Jesus. More than ever before, we have to pray. And I, I'm not talking about prayers that are just for 10 minutes, but I'm talking about those prayers that just lay you down on the ground, your face in, in the carpet, the rug, the floor, wherever you're at, and just call out to God and ask him to give you the strength. A lot of times we turn to our friends, we turn to our family, we turn to our spouses, we turn to our pastor, to our leaders, looking for them to feel something that's empty inside of us. But really the only one that can feel that is God. And if we could just understand that he's trying to take us into deeper levels with our walk with him, with our relationship with him. If we could understand that in the midst of all of this darkness, God's just asking for us to be a light. The only way that we can do this is by staying as close as we can to him. If we don't stay close to him and we allow ourselves to be pulled aside, we allow ourselves to be pulled away by the circumstances of this world, by, by the media, by social media, by everything that occurs. If we let ourselves become inundated with all of that, surely we're going to become so overwhelmed that it's going to be hard for us to even get up out of bed and continue on. But if we keep our mind stayed on him, and if we could just find him, even in our lowest moments, he's always there. He's just a prayer away. All we got to do is reach out to him. He'll never leave us alone. And I'm so thankful for that because even in my most darkest moments, even when I felt like no one was around, even when I felt like all of my friends had walked away, God, he never leaves me and he never forsakes me. And he's always there. And I'm so thankful for that because without him, where would we be at today? So friends, if there's anything that I can say to you, at the end of this podcast is just stay close to him because the closer that you are to him the better your life is going to be the closer that you are to him the greater things you're going to see occur in your life because when the enemy tries to come in like a flood that's when jesus stands for us and he says well take a step back she's mine he's mine and we don't have to worry because he's with us and he surrounded us 